You're listening to the Weed Smart Podcast. Each podcast, we look at what's going on in each cropping region, focusing on those pesky weeds. Welcome to another week of the Weed Smart Podcast. Our regular co host, Pete Newman, he's actually over holidaying in America at the moment, just before the Global Herbicide Resistance Challenge Conference we talked about in our last podcast. So apparently he's in an RV having a good time, but not to worry, we've got one of our other extension officers who's going to cover for him today, Greg Condon, our Southeast Extension Officer. How are you going, Greg? Well, thanks, Jess. Going well. And you've been doing a lot of work with your consultancy agronomy business, Grassroots, as well. Can you give us a little bit of info about what you've been up to lately? Yeah, well, it's, it's just the time of year when sowing uh, is in full swing, so most people have got their early crops, uh, canola in particular, is all sort of done and dusted and, and the pulses, so we're seeing uh, mainly wheat now go in and, and barley, so um, it's just been a southern New South Wales, particularly and into Victoria and parts of South Australia, been quite a favourable uh, start to the season with some really good rain in April and a follow-up in at the end of the month in the Anzac Day. Um, central New South Wales into, into some of the more western areas hasn't been so favourable, so moisture's a little bit more marginal, but generally conditions, um, we've got good subsoil moisture, so conditions have been really good for people to um, progress through their sowing program and more importantly, the weeds, we're getting a great opportunity to um, get some great knockdowns, so, which we don't always achieve with autumns being notoriously dry at times, but um, people are yeah, doing a lot more, um, I guess, double knocking in, particularly on, on paddocks that uh, we don't always have uh, have the chance to get at prior to sowing. So that's been a really good leg up from the, the weeds perspective at present. That's great news. Yeah, in WA, it's been, I think, quite a bit more dry than it has over east. So, yeah, it's good to hear that the growers over there are having a fairly good run. And uh, we spoke with Paul McIntosh this morning as well, and he said even in central Queensland, the soil moisture profile isn't too bad and it's looking better than it was this time last year. So that's good to hear too. Yeah, I mean, obviously the, the autumn doesn't make a season, but it takes a bit of pressure off later on, particularly coming off the back of last year where we saw a lot of um, you know, weed blowouts in some crops where we had waterlogging and, and flooding issues so where people couldn't actually get on the crops and crop competition was a bit limited. So it was just, uh, it's been a great uh, opportunity to, to get a, uh, if not one or two knockdowns on, um, on some of those weeds, so um, let alone the, the good sowing conditions. So people are sort of poking through their crop programs to the calendar pretty well. We're sort of in the main season wheats now and, and, and barley for those that are growing barley and then, yeah, people who sort of are growing lentils or some of the later sown pulses will sort of kick off later into the month. So, it's, yeah, it has been a, a pretty favourable autumn generally. Perfect. And speaking of knockdown herbicides, we recently completed our poll on the RE Twitter account on uh, the days between knockdowns and the majority of people, 66%, are waiting between three and seven days and then 18%, eight to 14 days. Is this what you would recommend or is there any other tips you can give growers on uh, days between knockdowns? No, that's a really good response, Jess. So that, that reflects what we see in the paddock. So I guess the, the message through RE and Wheat Smart and other other groups over the years has been that uh, you know, once we sort of get past three to five days is to really have a look at when um, you can get back particularly double knocking ryegrass. So our grass species are, are a best double knock during that shorter shorter window period. But for more difficult um, broadleaf weeds like the flea bane and sow thistle, for example, which are a bit more problematic for us in the east, uh, we do extend out a little bit 
a little bit wider than that seven days. So it just depends on what weeds people might be targeting in what spectrum at what time of year. But it is it is great to see the response that you had from that poll and uh, how people are really sticking to the best practice. So um, as we saw at the Weed Smart seminar in Perth last year for actual high-pressure situations like actual glyphosate-resistant ryegrass, it was a shorter period was a lot better, so less than less than five days, but um, for general run-of-the-mill type double knocking where you've got a mixed population of broadleaf and grass species, that uh, yeah, that seven-day period is, is pretty well commercial practice and, and just the spraying capacity growers have now compared to where we were when double knocking first came out. People are batching plants, we've got more water capacity, we've got a lot more um, boom, um, yeah, boom size and, and, and people are able to go a bit slower and put water, higher water rates on, so it's really um, the whole double knocking has become a bit more um, effective and, and a bit more user-friendly, so that's that's a really good trend. We're, we're noticing actual application sides are using a fairly toxic chemical like uh, like paraquat or, um, or, or the spray seed, which is a paraquat-diquat mix, so um, there's a combination of factors which is adding up to make it work really well. Yeah, no, that is really good news, and yeah, it's always great to have those polls and get a snapshot of what people are doing out there, so thank you to everyone who had a vote on Twitter. And today we're actually going to be talking about the benefits of uh, disc seeders and stripper front systems and how row spacing can be used effectively for crop competition. Can you give us a little bit of an insight into what makes this system a good system to adopt? Uh, yeah, well, there's, there's pros and cons with every system, Jess. So I guess where growers have drifted into the, um, I guess, an integrated program of They've started off with a disc seeder for a number of reasons, might have been for double retention or wanting to uh, get across their program a bit quicker. And then we've since subsequently discovered we can't possibly potentially use the, the number of pre-emergent herbicides that would, you would be able to use with a, uh, a tine seeder. So they've then looked at other ways of uh, improving weed competition without that certain pre-em option. So they've gone to narrow row spacing. So... There's a lot of good data nationally from um, Glen Rice Muller and a lot of the, the DPI programs from South Australia and New South Wales and, and even into Victoria showing that narrow rows do do work for high yield but more so for weed comp- competition. So um, they've gone to this seeder, we've narrowed our row spacing up and now we're sort of seeing another trend where people are looking to um, actually harvest uh, their stubble higher and then create another, um, another layer of... Uh, of crop competition for summer weeds with his high stubble height, which is um, a little bit inhibitory for some of the summer weeds, but generally it's, uh, it's all aiming to sort of store more moisture and um, enable sort of sowing and, uh, and crop growth to occur in the absence of, uh, of, of soil water and rainfall. For sure, and quite a few of your clients have adopted this system from uh, what we've talked about in the past, and we are going to be hearing from Tom Robinson, who uses this system. He's based in the mid-north of South Australia. We'll hear from him a little bit later. But how does the system actually work and is there anything in, involved in setting it up which would be a bit of a, an inhibitor for people? It is. No, it's definitely not for the faint-hearted, uh, Jess. So I guess the way we come at it, um, like this seeders have been around for a while and there's, uh, yeah, there's a whole lot of uh, different configurations you can have with a disc seeder, but we're, we're still looking at it from uh, stepping out of the weed spectrum here, looking at it from a systems perspective. So you're really looking to sort of get away with disc seeders. You, you do have problems with sometimes the chaff fraction coming out of the back of the header, limiting uh, the establishment of the subsequent crops with a disc seeder because they don't tend to move as much soil as what a tine would. So uh, hence the reason growers started to look at ways of minimising that chaff, so they've, they've set up their, their header um, chaff spreading and chopping 
configurations on the back of headers and then sort of from that it's evolved where they've looked into and we visited um, Tom Robinson in, and his father Ashley in South Australia four or five years ago and saw what they were doing where they have a stripper front so that's the next step so you're harvesting really high to aim to minimise the amount of chaff that goes through the, the header and um, the, the stripper front is the next the next level where the uh, the front actually just strips the grain off there's no generally very little chaff comes through a header when a stripper front passes through so they're able to harvest really high so it leaves quite a tall stubble though but in um, subsequent sort of uh, I guess the season after there's very little chaff left on the ground following the stripper passing through so it creates a very thick all straw as opposed to stubble which is cut low historically to enable seeding through but we find with the disc seeders particularly on narrow row spacings it's actually uh, a lot more efficient to pass through a tall standing straw and it's actually quite thin in its uh, in its architecture so it's a bit different sort of that thick I guess that thick mulch or that thick fats you tend to get from double cut lows so it's a little bit of a different system there's a lot happening it's, it's quite difficult to set up the stripper front so it's not uh, not for everyone and not for every every system but for the growers that are sort of moving into it we've found it's um, yeah it's sort of creating a bit of resilience around um, soil moisture and soil structure but also there's a few few little things evolving in terms of uh, crop options so we tend to avoid say putting canola into that really thick cereal straw we tend to come in with a pulse crop and then follow the canola on the on the pulse so you sort of we've got a double break rotation might might come out of it rather than uh, you know, trying to put um, canola back into the thick straw so the other thing is the narrow rows, um, you know, once you get back to sort of seven or six inches, really fade this type of system. So the crop architecture changes again. So the stripper works really well when it's got a constant feed of, uh, of straw, uh, coming against the, uh, the stripper as it's passing through at harvest time as opposed to some of the wide rows where it mightn't feed as evenly. Yeah, it's, it's an evolving system. The stripper fronts are no, no means new. They've come out of the UK and used in rice commonly, but yeah, it's, uh, in dry areas around the world. It's sort of found a bit of a fit and now they're starting to sort of have uh, a role to play in our uh, medium rainfall zones in Australian cropping systems. Yeah, there's definitely some benefits there as well as uh, less erosion as well. I think you guys posted a video not too long ago showing that there was really not that much dust coming up from um, yep. the harvester going yep. through and so there's definitely some benefits there, isn't there? Well, uh, yeah, and another benefit we've seen is in the summertime. So we're seeing less of um, the particularly summer grass weeds emerge. We still get the odd broadleaf, of course, with South Isle and Flea Bone. That doesn't seem to worry. But, um, yeah, you do change the ecology of, of what weeds will germinate. But in the summer, because you've got that dense cover there, the dust from, from spraying in summertime is, is basically eliminated. So you're tending to really get... Uh, and we're sort of finding that at the moment with some of these clients who've got this system. The the, uh, the weeds are really fresh, so they're able to kill, kill weeds because um, there's so much moisture underneath this thick stubble kill, um, yeah, the, the, the weed control of the knockdowns is, is quite effective. So, uh, But again, it's about the system. So it, rather than just focusing on the hardware as in the disc feeder or the, the stripper front or the chaff spreader on the header, we sort of look at the, the rotation. So that's why the double break rotations, which have been um, you know, commonly promoted by Weed Smart and, and Ari over the years where you follow canola after a pulse or after a fallow, um, become quite critical. You can't just tend to be too serial dominant because you run into problems um, with disease and so diverse rotations are, are sort of built in on the back of these of these systems so yeah there's, there's a whole lot of uh, complexity around how people manage it there might be a little bit more insect pressure and things like that but generally with a diverse rotation you can sort of overcome some of the uh, some of the hurdles that are faced so um, the best thing with sort of it's a bit of an added bonus of it with the, the narrow row spacings um, is the uh, the crop competition in these systems is, uh, is increased so we're seeing 
grass weeds, um, you know, wild oats and brome and, and ryegrass to a degree, uh, really struggling to set a lot of seed in, in sort of six and seven inch row spacing systems. They're still there, we just have that. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and of course, like with any system, there's always a few downsides and one of the downsides with this system could potentially be the high stubble loads and you mentioned it before about um, pre-emergent herbicides and being able to use those and Yassine, we did an our insight on Yassine Khalil's work on pre-ems getting onto the weeds with high stubble loads. Can you give us a bit of an insight into how this can impact your weed control when you use a system like this one? Definitely, Jess. Yeah, so you can't, uh, I guess, uh, the, the, the low-cost options like Trice Little and unfortunately drop out ahead of crops like cereals, um, even ahead of pulse crops because the uh, the, uh, the stubble binds up the uh, the active in the chemical. But soluble herbicides like you know, Metallichlor and uh, Sakura, you know, some of the newer uh, uh, carb, which is the arcade that's been taken out of the box of gold. So they are more soluble as that work that um, you talked about as proven, so they will wash off stubble to a degree. But I guess largely some of the growers that are in the system have um, backed off some of their pre-emergent herbicide use. So they're really, um, it's quite important that the weed numbers are fairly low to start with. Um, you don't really want to go into some of these systems with high weed burns. And, and you don't want to be totally inflexible either and just think you're never going to burn or, or, or cultivate or, or use a harvest weed seed techniques. If, if you have blowouts and problems and certain blocks, then you... You have to do something, but generally you want to have a fairly low weed feed bank coming in. So um, we've got a client who, the Fox family, who visited for Weed Smart in WA last year here in the east, and they um, they've set up a chaff lining system to work behind this uh, this narrow row stripper front system. So that's quite exciting. So they're sort of finding they can collect um, brome grass and ryegrass in their chaff line, yeah, a single right. chaff line, and yeah, put it put it somewhere where they know the weed seeds are. So there's a bit of an evolution happening, but we think if, uh, particularly the narrow rows, a lot of the grass weed species are forced to to head up, so they, um, they they need to compete with the crops. So it is easy to collect them, and we just sort of seen with uh, anecdotal observations with brome grass, particularly with the stripper front, that the the stripper was taking the brome off the stem and, and collecting it and putting it through the header. So with some of the harvest weed seed techniques uh, techniques we can we can do something with it. But you're, you're right, there are limitations with with some of the pre emergent especially the lower cost pre emergent chemistry. And are there any other downsides that you'd think are worth mentioning here? Oh, definitely. So, people with contractors, it is it is a bit of an off, an off uh, the mainstream type of practice. So, it is it's not common to be able to get a contractor to sort of set up for growers who are that that way inclined. With some of our larger corporate clients, it doesn't really work in with them. And people who don't really want to sort of go into some of the alternative diverse rotation systems because yeah, you know, it might be very profitable for them to be in a canola wheat system. So, um, you know, if they're a mixed farmer particularly and you know, don't really want to be cropping for long periods of time, we we sort of advise them to. Sort of think hard why why that sort of system in the disc would would suit them. So mixed farmers generally with the time to create a bit of disturbance for grazing crops and things like that. So there's the farming system is really important as to why a grower might go that way. But for us in areas that um, we really see a lot of value with early sowing with some of these continuous or intensive cropping systems, and um, to do that we we aim to minimise the amount of clods and, and sort of not be dependent on a lot of rain during the autumn. So um, we're just retaining more of and Tom will talk about that. We're just retaining more and more moisture under these systems that we're um, yeah, still trying to learn how to how to manage at times. Yeah, for sure. And you did mention as, you know, obviously these anecdotal accounts of the benefits and the downsides of this system. Is there going to be any more research in this area, do you know? Hopefully so. Uh, yeah, GDC and their funding another 
farming systems projects through John Kierkegaard and his team and this uh, CSIRO and New South Wales DPI involvement as well. But um, yeah, I'm involved with the steering committee of that. So hopefully they're quite interested in looking at a bit more detail. Yeah, obviously some major drivers like soil water and nitrogen. Uh, with, with these rotations, these farming systems. So potentially there could be some work to come around it for those. Um, yeah, they're really keen to see a few numbers around, around the program. So, um, it is, it's, it's quite a d- diverse, uh, shift from, from standard farming systems. However, sort of generally, some of the growers that are in it, their cost base is generally lower anyway. So they, um, yeah, they're sort of seeing a bit of a, a higher levels of mineralisation due to higher levels of moisture. So, but yeah, they also need to sort of offset that with some some pulse crops in the system, like a high value lentil, for example, to uh, to keep the uh, the cash flow going as opposed to some of the other pulses. So it's, yeah, it's, it's it's a bit of a work in progress. So hopefully we can get a bit of uh, a bit of yeah, research to to back up what people are observing in these commercial scenarios. Yes, it's an interesting area. It would definitely be good to get some more numbers on the system. But for now, we're going to hear from Tom Robinson, who we mentioned before. So he's in the mid-north of South Australia, and I talked to him just the other day. He's at work while I'm talking to him, so there is a bit of background noise, but uh, hopefully you'll be able to hear him clearly enough. I think it's, I think it's all right. I'm speaking with Tom Robertson from Hoylton in the mid-north of South Australia. He and his father Ashley have been running stripper fronts and disc-seeders on narrow roads for many years. He's passionate about the system and the value of disc and stripper fronts together. How are you, Tom? Yeah, great. Thank you. Now, you're hard at work and you've taken the time to chat with me at the same time about your system today. How's everything going? Yeah, really, really good at the moment. We've had some fantastic opening rains here. And, uh, and we're about a third of the way to our program at the moment. That's great news. Good to hear. Always good when things are going well and everything's positive. So tell us a bit about the system you're using and how it all started and how you got involved in using it. So 15 years ago, my father uh, purchased a, a single disc, a John Deere single disc. And I suppose our system has just uh, evolutionised from there. So uh, Dad purchased the disc feeder for better seed placement, better stubble retention, and all the other things like that. And uh, and it wasn't, I suppose, until a few years after that we started seeing the soil health benefits as well. And so then after a few years, six years ago, we added a, uh, a stripper front. So we've just done our, uh, we've just done our sixth year with a stripper front this combination. And then throughout those years, we've, we've narrowed our row spacing. So we're on six inch row spacing. And we've been there now for six years as well. Okay, cool. So what are the benefits of using this system that you've got? The benefits are, mainly with the disc feeder, is that we can uh, keep massive, massive amounts of stubble. Uh, we don't need to burn. Um, and now we're, now we're growing things like cover crops. We're playing with summer cropping as well. So the benefits there of the disc feeder is mainly for we see the soil health side, so the low disturbance. And then the benefits of the stripper front on top of that is, again, we're able to keep more straw with the stripper front. We're keeping longer straw, which means the disc cuts better, it flows nicer. And so the benefit there of the disc feeder stripper front combination is, you know, when two plus two uh, is equaling more than what it should. Uh, we're seeing massive gains there from the stubble retention and the soil health side. 
I see. And has anyone else who's living nearby to you kind of commented on your system and adopted it as well? Or are they interested in the benefits of the system at all? Yeah, absolutely. There's been more and more growers that are taking on the high residue seeding movement. And, uh, and yeah, and that's fantastic from the land care and soil hair point, hair point of view. The, uh, yeah, the, the sugar park seeder movement, it's, uh, yeah, it's great to see. So with taking on board this system for someone who doesn't have a disc seed or a stripper front, are there any tips you would impart on other growers out there? Any things that they might come across which might be a little bit of a challenge to actually adopting that system or is it fairly easy to change over to this system? One of the biggest changes is your mindset change. You've really got to change your brain and the way you think and you've got to change your farm to accommodate that. And so I think that the biggest thing for guys is actually getting their head around the system and how it works, especially moving to this feeder. They work totally different than any other feeder on the market. And the stripper front as well, it's just about changing your mindset. And if you believe in your system and you believe you can make it work, well, you know, you are going to make it work. And it all sounds very positive, but are there any downsides at all of using this system? There's downsides to every system, but we're working around them. And that's just like everything, I suppose. You know, we're not seeing the weeds blow out. If anything, we're seeing our weeds reduced. We've reduced our chemical inputs, both, uh, both in fertiliser and chemicals. Yes, there are some downsides, but yeah, the upsides far outweigh them. I suppose the guys that are thinking about it, just do your research and go and see guys that are... Uh, uh, that are doing this sort of stuff and visit with them and talk about it, talk about the system. And I suppose the guys that uh, are doing this are probably not thinking so much about the machinery but are more thinking about their soil. And so they're thinking about their soil and thinking about how they can improve it. So as much as we're probably talking about machinery today, when you go visit with guys and, and, and farms and go visit on their farms and dig in the soil, they're probably talking more about the soil than they are about the machine. Right. The disc feeder is a tool and the stripper front is a tool and that our end goal is soil health. Alright, well thank you so much Tom for taking the time. I know you're very busy and it's, it's awesome that you can chat to me while you're working. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Great to hear from Tom there and really appreciate him taking the time to have a chat with me. Uh, and. Greg, thanks for putting me in touch with him. How did you end up uh, getting in contact with Tom Robinson? Uh, yeah, believe it or not, through a Twitter contact uh, several years ago when we were wanting to organise a tour through the mid-north of South Australia. We were looking to investigate some of the seeding systems. We visited the Uni of SA and a couple of other uh, growers on the tour. So, uh, yeah, one of them was Tom and his passion for what he does is, is pretty evident, the way he uh, gets his message across and he's heavily involved with the South Australian No-Till Farmers Association and uh, really keen to share and help other farmers who are looking to, um, yeah, to sort of go go down a, a little bit of a, a path that uh, is, is not quite mainstream but still, um, yeah, grow profitable crops and, and maintain good wheat competition. So uh, he's, he's good value, Tom. He's got plenty of, plenty of enthusiasm. Yes, we love hearing from people like Tom and it's always great to hear from farmers themselves and especially not new systems but maybe like you said it's not a mainstream system being used and so it's always interesting to hear from these early adopters and um, get the insight into what could become something that's really recommended in the future obviously de depending on research outcomes and things like that but it's always interesting to hear about what people are doing out there and that's a little bit different to the norm isn't it? 
It is, yeah. I guess he's probably got into the system he's in with a focus on ground cover for managing um, yeah, soil moisture and wind and water erosion and subsequently we've seen all these other benefits like uh, crop architecture, crop competition and now um, yeah, some of the other uh, alternative rotations that he can sort of employ. So it's, uh, it's a work in progress but um, yeah, Tom, Tom's always very good with sharing information as, as are most farmers we find that you travel around this great country. That's right. And Greg, we are in the middle of sowing around the country. Are there any, before I let you go, are there any other tips or um, any advice that you'd like to impart on the growers out there for the, for the next few weeks? I guess most people, as we mentioned before, with the uh, the option to get some really good double knocks in areas where they've had uh, been fortunate enough to, to get moisture. So, um most people sort of uh, you know, have a, a sound plan worked out with their agronomists, no doubt, with the crop rotation and, uh, and pre-emergent planning. So, um, no, I wish everyone all the best, and they can take uh, take their time and get the crop in in the uh, in their own pace and not be too rushed. So, it's uh, it is a good opportunity to, um, especially with a little bit of moisture, to be able to get machinery to operate without breaking it with dust and clods and all the rest. So that's, yeah. uh, that's a little bit of a place too. For sure. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time, Greg. It's good having you as a co-host, filling in for old Pete Newman. Well, not old, but <laughs> he wouldn't like me to say that. <laughs> yeah. no, happy to help out. Thanks, Jess. All right. Thank you.